Does your bike need some love? Shimano Original Replacement Parts are the best way to renew the original function of your Shimano-equipped bike. Available online and at your local retailer. The Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. Crafted in California, the LEL brand combines the latest technology with cycling tradition to deliver an experience that is authentically California. View their retail gear and custom program at lelcycling.com. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Celine Yeager, and with me is my co-host, Patrick Brady. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits into our lives. How are you, Patrick? I'm good. I'm, I'm good. good. I'll leave it there for now. We have plenty <laughs> to discuss today. Yes, we do. And you? Me? Oh, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Um, uh, I think you may have a little something to, to crow about. Well, I don't know about Crow. Um, I did. I I I took the top step at Keystone Gravel over the weekend, and I was I was very um, very pleasantly stoked. I, I will say that. And and let's clarify that top step, not of the women's field. Top. Oh no! Step. Oh, no! 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 I will. I, no of the of the women's field. I don't know where I fell overall. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. I misunderstood. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I misunderstood. Well, still. Crow, come on! <laughs> I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a crower. But uh, yeah, no, it was. It was cool. I mean, like it's. Uh, it is definitely. You know the whole horses for courses thing. You know, in, in it is definitely. I am a horse for that course in many ways. Like it's. Uh, it's it's got ridiculousness that I enjoy like technical downhills and it's got a lot of climbing. There was like 9,000 feet of climbing overall. And, um, and it also, I, I really like, especially, especially as it gets harder for me mentally to like sort of wrap my head around pinning it and suffering for six hours straight or more. Um, it, it's, it's, it plays to that strength of that. Like, okay, I can, you know, like there was one point, there was one segment that's eight and a half miles, which is the longest segment of the day. Okay. And, you know, I really was just like, okay, you know, you're just going to do a 30 minute time trial. Like, man, I'm hoping that it would be less than 30 minutes, but I was like, you're just going to, this is what you're going to do. And it, like all those things could just help me like mentally wrap my head around all the different segments, you know? And then I knew I would be able to like chill, but I, even though I couldn't chill for as long as I thought I'd be able to chill, because uh, the next segment was six miles uphill, sort of almost all horrible uphill, like six percent, you know, just terrible, like endless. <laughs> um, and I had left it all out there on that last one. I was like, oh, you're kidding. Like, I saw the sign to go again. and I was like, I don't know if I can go again. But, um, you know, I did. And it was uh, it was good. It was a it. it it's been super beautiful and dry and perfect here. And of course it rained on and off for three hours there. That made it real hard because it got cold and we were, we were all so happy and comfortable. And then with the rain, it got, uh, 
it just yeah it rained. I, I thought about you and your superpower because it was I, I looked down and it was like 55 degrees and raining and i was just like oh. this is not what this is not what i signed up for today um well in so, september yeah, I mean, it's the, a little harder to take right yeah the rest stops were well placed so we had just it started raining on one of the harder uphills and then it um got real cold in the downhill and then there was a rest stop where we got burritos and just were able to sort of like get inside a little bit uh-huh. um which helped although i felt myself getting colder as i sat there even though we were inside so i was like all right we gotta go and then i once we started moving it got okay again and then eventually it just stopped raining but yeah that always makes it i was just like come on please stop raining um mm. but yeah it was a, it was a fun time and it's you know the the whole scene the 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 bands and the barn and and the whole thing is really fun like everybody sort of camps out and it's just a fun time so yeah it was a good weekend cool wow very nice yeah and i was stoked because you don't know when you're out there how you did do you know what i mean because it is it is just segments so unless i mean you're just all spread out riding with whoever you're riding with so you really don't know until the end of the day i was hoping for a podium I, i felt i would have been a little disappointed if i hadn't gotten in the top because i thought it was doing pretty well and i thought i came into it pretty well but i was very pleasantly surprised to get the the win yeah that's cool that is that's really cool yeah and when is that that unknown uh the the pleasure of that is yeah a little more surprising and it's got to be a little sweeter that way yeah yeah it was cool (laughs) very cool yeah well uh what do you got this week i've got wait um like literally i I, have you know sort of it's interesting we talked a little bit about weight stuff last week and i feel like we're sort of dovetailing in that but Mm -hmm. so i've been bicycling magazine's fit chick which incidentally started as ask the fitness chick um since i covered all things general fitness and training not just cycling plans when the column first started since 1999 um yeah and I've been writing about health and fitness for mainstream magazines since 94. Um, that's a long time. Yeah. Long time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for all those years, the topic that sold, quote unquote, sold the most was weight loss. Um, and I've always kind of hated writing about weight loss. Uh, but that was the bread and butter, so to speak, of magazines like Prevention and Women's Health and Shape and Fitness. And I could go on and on and on. Pretty much everybody I wrote for um in 2007 bicycling asked me to do a cycling weight loss book uh because it's an evergreen very popular topic among our readers and i really really didn't want to do it like i literally told my editor who was lauren mooney at the time that i did not want to stomp on my love of this sport by spending the better part of a year writing a cycling weight loss book like i felt that strongly about it Mm. i just i i didn't want to do it um but I acquiesced because I knew from personal experience and from mail that I received from a lot of our uh, cyclists and people who were interested in getting into the sport is that they really did want to know how to use their bikes to lose some weight, mainly so they could enjoy riding more. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just is something that would just come up. Yep. So I wrote I wrote it from that point of view, you know, that if you do have excess weight that you feel is holding you back, you know, here's how to train to fuel yourself and to lose it in a healthy, sustainable way. And, you know, when it was done, I honestly had a product that I felt pretty good about um, for years. And honestly, to this day, I still run into folks at races and bike events who say, your book helped me lose 70 pounds. Like, 
You book helped me literally. Like I wow. had somebody at Monster Cross a few years ago just come up to me and thank me, and I have had people say your book helped me, you know, lose X number of pounds, and I'm here at this race because your book helped me get fit and confident. And you know that that has all been a huge net positive. And it, it when I write that kind of content and I get that kind of response, I feel extremely satisfied and gratified by it. And all that is awesome, except what about people who don't want to lose weight? Or what about people who have battled their whole life without results? I don't want to make those riders feel lesser or like, well, obviously you're just not trying hard enough or whatever through my headlines in writing. You know what I'm saying? About Mm -hmm. weight loss. And that may seem like kind of an odd concern, but Bicycling recently published a piece by a woman named Kaylee Kornhauser titled... I'm a fat cyclist and I don't need to fix my body. My weight doesn't need to change, but the bike's world, bike world's attitude toward me does. Okay. And yeah, she, she and she is indeed, I mean, there, you know, there's pictures of her and she is, she is indeed a large cyclist. She's a large woman on a bike. Um, but she's anyway, it talks, she in it, she talks very well about all the two common experiences where she runs into some riders who, slyly or not slyly infer that she's not athletic because of her size you know she she talks about trouble finding clothes that fit which which has gotten better you know thanks mm-hmm. to companies like pearl Azumi and terry and demarkey who now make like truly larger sizes not just like cycling person larger sizes which right. most still do let's be clear yeah um but mostly she laments that when larger cyclists are represented in the cycling world, whether it's marketing or other, it's as the before picture. It's not the present person out enjoying their day on two wheels. It's the person who is out there because they want to be the after picture. You know, they're trying to lose. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. representation that most people see. And when you say that representation matters, it does in that way. Because that sort of does affect how she feels and others feel about themselves as well as how other people respond to them. Because it does automatically go, oh, look, that person's trying to better themselves. They're trying to lose weight on a bike. Isn't yay. And, you know, clap their hands. And I can see how that would get real old and really annoying. Like I had a friend who was super resistant for years and probably still is. He's like, I don't want to go to the gym because I don't want a bunch of people looking at me like, oh, isn't that great? He's trying to lose weight. You know, and that like. Yeah. Condescending yeah. sort of way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think a lot of that representation for a long time was because we were looking at cycling mostly through a performance lens. Like bicycling back in the day was very road riding and racing centric. So yeah. it was power to weight. Race weight was the big book, you know, yep. um, Body composition was kind of everything. It was all part and partial to the sport, which was which was all being filtered through that lens of elite performance, not just like, oh, I just want to like ride my MS. You know, I mean, it was all coming down from that sort of period where everything was about road racing and about being super lean and super thin. And yeah, um, But now that we've moved away from that more and the cornerstone of a lot of cycling media, including bicycling, has placed the emphasis more on like, yay, bikes, you know, riding is awesome. And it's awesome for all kinds of reasons from getting from here to there and, you know, just playing around. 
you know, all those weight metrics are now playing a lesser role. So you you can be, as Kornhauser says, a quote unquote fat cyclist who is not on your bike to become a thin cyclist. You're on your bike because you want to ride your damn bike. And she lays out a very nice laundry list of accomplishments, including an Alaskan bike packing trip from sweet uh, Seward to Dead Horse, Alaska, uh, that she has done, which is no joke, you know, without without the goal of dropping a dress size along the way. Right. So it's kind of like that movie. Brittany runs a marathon. The success story there should have been that Brittany ran a marathon, not that Brittany lost a bunch of weight. You know, and that's been a, a big criticism of that film. And I think a big criticism of a lot of the stories in our sport. Yep. So that said, you know, I sit here in 2019 and I still encounter plenty of riders who would like to lose weight and mm-hmm. readers who are still interested in weight loss stories because there are still people who want to work on that aspect of their physical selves to meet a certain performance goal. Yep. And I think that's OK, too. Um, you know, I think there's room under this bicycling umbrella for everyone, but more so now than ever, I think it's really important that nobody gets stuck out in the rain. Like, I think at this point, we need to be a little more cognizant of that. And in my mind, that just means all of us being uh, welcoming and maybe just not making assumptions when we see people based on their size, mm-hmm. what their goal mm-hmm. of their bicycle and their bicycle riding is. And, you know, so I'm I, my plan is to definitely keep most of my content, as always, devoted, devoted towards performance, getting stronger, building endurance and all that, because I think that stuff that everyone can benefit no matter what their size or no matter what their size goals. Yeah. But it's just, just been on my mind. Yep. I hear you. You know, and one of the reasons that I really love recording this show with you is that you know, even though we've each done it through our own personal journey, we're both at a point where we see cycling through a big tent lens. Let's welcome as many people as possible. Let's not make anyone feel embarrassed about who they are. Uh, Let's not try to convince someone that they need to be on a journey other than just enjoy yourself. Right. And, uh, you know, I say that as somebody who was knocking on the door of being an elite cyclist there for a while. Uh, you know, and let's be clear, I never made it out of the threes. I was not that good. Uh, but I was chasing all the really fast guys and for a while, not doing too shabby a job of chasing the really fast guys. But that clouded my perception of the people I rode with in a way that made me think that if you weren't quite that fast you just weren't working as hard at it Mm -hmm. i will Mm -hmm. also indict being in my 30s oh yeah Yeah. no i get yeah totally yeah i mean and i yeah it's just it's it's so much more enjoyable to be in a place where you know you can welcome everyone relative to their experience and not try to encourage them that you need to do this you need to buy that you should concentrate on this. Have you ever tried? You know, it's it's just not necessary. And uh, when I saw that piece, uh, you know, I thought, wow, bully for her. And I'm, I was just so psyched that somebody, especially bicycling, but that anybody was willing to publish that piece. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, and we are more so than ever, like publishing pieces like that. What's, you know, what's interesting is that piece 
for a while and maybe still is sits on the homepage between some piece on shred getting shredded abs and a piece on uh, why body composition matters, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's still, and I don't know that any of the, like it's, it's all still going to be there for a while. And we all just have to sort out what that, what it means to everybody, where everybody belongs, but everybody does belong. You know, and I think that that's, that's the larger message there is that Mm -hmm. they do. And we, we, um, we just need to not be jerks. I mean, it really just comes down to that. <laughs> it's that simple. Like, just don't be a jerk out there. And it, it I think, you know, when it, it, I, I, because the sport has such competitive roots and, you know, roots of a certain kind and very combative sort of roots, it, it, mm-hmm. it fostered that, you know, it, it, and, and still at those, at those echelons does foster that. Right. Yeah. But it does not need to trickle down to your Sunday morning coffee room. <laughs> it really doesn't um yeah yeah i'm i'm with you uh you know i i will refer back uh to that statement i made you know maybe a year or so ago uh, you know i ask people out for rides and they're always like oh you're gonna kill me and it's like no 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 i just want to ride with you and so again i will say if i ask you <laughs> out for a ride i want to ride with you not against you and i right. think for me, that's kind of the bottom line is that uh, I want other people out there. The sport is better and healthier. The bigger it is, the more people we have. Totally. Yep. So very cool. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I guess this is our point where we're going to break for a sponsor and then we will talk about something that is mm, not exactly cycling at Shimano. We love riding, and we know you do too. As a small repayment for all the joy your bike has brought your life, we encourage you to maintain your bike regularly. Genuine Shimano replacement parts will keep your Shimano-equipped bike running smoothly. Whether your bike is built with 105, XTR, or our new gravel group, GRX, a well-maintained bike will operate better and go faster. Worn out a chain? Consider that a badge of honor. You've been riding a lot. Does it sound like metal on metal when you hit your rim brakes? That's a sign it's time for new brake shoes. What if your disc brakes don't feel as crisp as they used to? Cool, you've been going fast. Give them a bleed. Does your chain skip on smaller cogs? You're using all your gears, and now your cassette is shot. Is that old saddle creaking? It may be fatigued because of all the miles you've put in. Consider a saddle from Shimano's Pro line of components. And what about your feet? Cleats can and do wear out, especially the right cleat if you're a cyclocross racer. Whether it is the plastic cleat on a road shoe or metal SPD cleat, they can and do wear out. To keep that love burning bright, show your bike a little TLC and take it by your nearest Shimano dealer to keep it running just like when it was new. Okay, we are back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick, what is it that's not exactly cycling that we're talking about this week? My poll this week uh, probably won't even be the easiest I've taken, and that's because I'm going to talk about depression, my depression. First, I want to say that I feel like I've been in a reasonably good place for a while now. However, I have been aware that the underlying cause of my depression, despite the progress that I've made, has remained in place, and I've had a real desire to neutralize it for the long term. 
So I recently decided to approach it from a rather mm, revolutionary angle by treatment under the care of a team of a psychiatrist and a psychotherapist in a sequence of rather intense sessions under the administration of the drug ketamine. This is not a decision I came to lightly. Uh, this won't be uh, quite a normal conversation. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when you feel a need, just jump in with any questions you uh, you might have. Okay. So, do. Inst- instrumentally, I don't my- know much about ketamine. To, to actually, isn't that used in anesthesia? Like that's yes. kind of the only thing I know about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it gets referred to as a horse tranquilizer. Uh, but oh, yeah, okay. it is okay. it is used as uh, an anesthetic for both animals and peoples. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Which is you know that makes it a, a little unusual in in at least one regard. So instrumental in my decision was Michael Pollan's book "How to Change Your Mind," which looks Excellent at book. the use. Yeah, just incredible. I've now read it twice. Uh, it use it looks at the use of psychedelic drugs to treat a variety of ailments from smoking to PTSD, to treatment-resistant depression, which would be the bucket I fit in. Uh, His book looks mostly at the mushroom psilocybin, uh, and it's being used in some clinical trials. I think at this point, it's still mostly phase two. Phase three clinical trials are the ones where they get a really big population, often thousands Mm -hmm. of people, at least hundreds, uh, rather than dozens. And so... There are about to be more people going through that, but it's really not easy to be part of one of those trials, although I was probably a step ahead of most people in that I'm in the greater Bay Area. However, making things a little simpler for someone like me looking for a treatment now, as opposed to, say, 2021, Mm -hmm. the FDA has approved the use of ketamine as a method of treatment, an alternative to psilocybin or LSD or some of the other options that are out there. And there really are, you know, I don't know, half dozen different options to go this route. Last month, I found a treatment center in Northern California that guides patients through this treatment with ketamine. I emailed them and then we did an hour long phone interview. I passed that hurdle and then was asked to fill out a bunch of paperwork that they emailed to me, including a couple of surveys regarding anxiety and trauma that, you know, it's like, it's, these are standard forms that, uh, that mental health professionals use. So I could Google them and find out what my scores meant. Huh. Uh, <laughs> God bless the Googles or, or not, because or not. what happened in my case was I found out that even though I felt like I was in a pretty good place, my issues were more significant than I really understood. By a standard objective measure, my baseline for pretty good still counts as moderately depressed. Uh, that was that was a as bitter pills go. That was especially bitter. Hmm. Following that, I went down for an intake interview, which I passed. Speaking of bitter <laughs> pills, right. that was that was yeah I was, yay no no yes yet. exactly <laughs> I was thrilled yay I'm going to be taken on as a patient for this revolutionary treatment. Oh, boo. I got to say, finding out that me in a pretty good place was still depressed enough to warrant this level of treatment was absolutely unsettling. And, you know, the the real upshot there is realizing that my entire life, I've basically been depressed to some degree. Right. 
right. you know, I, I may not even be familiar with what it feels like to just not to be, not be depressed at all. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I simply don't know. So I went down for my first of what will be multiple treatments on Tuesday. It was a three hour session. And we began that by talking about my background more. Uh, you know, I'd already done a one hour interview with them, but when you're doing this kind of work, one hour of conversation is not really quite enough. Right. Um, so we discussed what problems I wrestled with as well as where I wanted to concentrate my efforts because you, you can't take on the whole of your mental condition. You've got to pick some things that you want to work on. A big part of this process is what is referred to as set and setting. That is what your mindset and intention are for the session, as well as making sure that your guides have created a space where you feel safe and supported to take leave of your waking life. I told them about my hypercritical self-talk and how it stems from my childhood and particularly my relationship with my father. I'm going to hasten to add here that I'm not a person who walks around angry at my dad. I don't have daddy issues in that way. I have a great deal of compassion for who he is and the journey that he has walked. But the legacy of our lives together is that I have not achieved all that I'm capable of because I'm so critical of myself. I can absolutely parallels, paralyze myself with criticism. I was told that if I encountered anything scary or fearful, fearful during the session, that I was to walk toward it, not run away, mm. to embrace it, approach mm -hmm. it. Just before I went under, I was asked to grade myself among writers. This huh. was a sort of a self-esteem uh, exercise. <laughs> was I among the top 20% of writers? And I completely bought it. In the world? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just wondering what the pool is. <laughs> like, that's a very hard question. Yeah, it's, it's hard no matter what. And then when you're dealing with somebody who's struggling with establishing their own value as a writer, independent of any objective measure, any awards. Don't all writers struggle with their value as a writer? I, I mean, I'm not trying to. I'm just saying, no, like, I, this question seems particularly difficult to me. Yeah, yeah. But, he, you know, part of his job is to push me, to press me. Uh, mm -hmm. to, to get me into an uncomfortable place to confront this stuff. Right. So he asked it, you know, a couple of different ways, a couple of different variations. We got around to, was I among the top 5% of writers in Sonoma County? That mm. one I could say, yeah, sure, sure. Okay, that's fair, yeah. And we, you know, there was one more that narrowed it a little further than that, that I'll just leave alone. He wanted me to state my worth, my value as a writer. And I really did struggle with that. Modesty is a happy place for me. And that's part of my relationship with my parents. I did eventually manage to make a statement that I believed. He really pressed me on this because I think he took it as an indication of my ability to state my own worth. And at a certain base level, that's what this entire treatment is about. I donned some eye shades laid back in a recliner. You know, they had a little footrest out for me. They draped a blanket over me and then gave me a ketamine lozenge, which I held in my mouth for 12 minutes to allow it to dissolve and to coat my mucosa in my mouth so that it would be absorbed as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Then we wait another eight minutes. At the 20 minute mark, they asked how I was doing. 
and not much was happening. I remember saying, I'm beginning to see purple. <laughs> you know, that's how these, that's how this stuff goes. Uh, so they decided I needed more. And that's the idea. They take you up slowly and then they mm-hmm, add more. Mm-hmm. I was given two more lozenges, taking wow. me from 150 milligrams of ketamine up to 450 milligrams of ketamine. Waited 12 minutes. I swallow. At the 40 minute mark, I asked how I was doing. And I reported that the world was melting. <laughs> Bear in mind that I had on a mask and couldn't see anything. Time became plastic. It, it was stretchy like taffy. I know how this sounds, but the experience is so terribly subjective that many people describe events that utterly sound crazy. I was able to move about in both space and time. I went back to a bike race I won in 2001, to driving my car, my current Subaru Outback, to my home. I was washing dishes. There were visions, things that seemed like memories, but had never, ever taken place, including a really, hmm, wow, a really tender moment with an ex-girlfriend. I'd rather not describe it in depth, but I'm willing to say that it filled me with a lot of love and compassion for her and what she needs in her life and what she has that's worthy of celebration. Were these, did you, were they like real dreams that you were having? Like how, how realistic was this? Do you know what I mean? Like, was it Mm -hmm. like a dream where you're like, where it feels so real and then you're like, oh, I'm just dreaming. Or were you, were you self-aware in that? Like I, do you know what I mean? Like what the state of that? So this would be, uh, yeah, it was a little bit like a dream. Uh, I'd say closer to like a lucid dream. So you're still self-aware. Yeah. Thinking in any traditional sense is not what's happening. Things are muddled and jumbled. And part of the effect of time being out of sequence and stretched and pulled is that even Thinking a properly syntactical grammatical sentence is a little challenging. There was stuff I just had to let go of and say, that's way too complicated for right now. Uh, But so the appearance, the, the images I had in my head were much like being in a dream uh, or, or a memory. It, it had, and were they talking to you through that? Occasionally they would, they would say things from time to time. Mostly it was questions. At one point, the, the therapist, you know, the psychologist in the team is, this was a male and female team. She was the therapist and she began to give me some direction or suggestions or something. And because it wasn't a simple declarative sentence or a simple question, it was so complicated to me that I really couldn't comprehend it. It was, there was just there was too much already going on with within me to take that on. And I remember this visual of it's hard to explain, but I let it just kind of collapse to the ground and get all tangled up. And I turned and walked away from it. Her statement fell to the ground. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yep. And I just, yeah, I can't, I can't do that right now. Uh, (laughs) You know, I'm just, you know, and it's, it was one of those things that I had the sense that I walking away from this right now 
and not paying attention to that is not going to do me any harm. Right. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. So at one point she asked me what I was feeling and I said, and it, there was a certain almost disembodied quality to this where I could hear myself speak and I knew I was saying things that were true, but I didn't, there was still some sort of disconnect in all of this where I was a, a, a sort of viewer or, or audience member to what was taking place. But I told her I felt wonderful and it came hmm. out in this glowing full bodied em, uh, embodiment of, of what that feeling was. You know, I, I feel wonderful. Okay. And then I told her, I wish everyone could feel this wonderful. Wow. And then I added, I'd like to share this feeling with the whole world. Yeah. And I mean, I say this to you now and it sounds utterly banal, but freighted with that ketamine experience in that moment, in that setting, it was profound. Yep. Uh, I, and it's, it's really hard to try to translate that. Well, I think that's why Michael Pollan wrote that book, quite frankly, when I listened to him on Joe Rogan's podcast, uh, it was very, very clear that he felt a profound need to convey to the world what he had experienced through all this and how life altering it was. It was interesting. Yeah. 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 And he does a really great job of selling the audience on the idea that really it's going to sound nutty when I say this, but in the moment, in the experience, it has a profundity that is, easily discounted away from it but well, in the who moment, was yeah this i don't want to go down too far down this rabbit hole but who is the guy that played jr on dallas larry hegman yeah was that yeah crazy little tangent but he went through one of these sort of experiences um i can't remember what his what the drug therapy was it was the same kind of thing it was a um you know, it was a, a a safe, like you're in an environment where someone is taking you through it. Mm -hmm. And uh, he came out of it and said he was no longer afraid of death. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. I mean, it was just like, OK, wow, that sounds great. Um, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Proceed. <laughs> so there was another vision that I had, and I'll describe it briefly here, but I am writing about it. And I will publish a full account of this one vision that I had because it was my single biggest takeaway from the entire experience that day. So I'm looking out on this landscape and this great stone giant comes out of the ground up to its torso, maybe 40 feet tall from the waist to the top of its head, the, the portion that stuck out of the ground. And then it leaned forward and its arms went forward and its hands curled into fists and supported it on the ground. Were you scared? Nope. Nope. Okay. As I'm watching this, and that scene unfolded several times for me, and I'm trying to think, what movie did I see this in? Because there are so many other things that were memories. I thought they were memories. Now I'm remembering <laughs> right. that that scene from the bike race that I, I won back in 2001, I was viewing myself from behind myself. That was not a memory. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, might be a multiverse kind of thing. Maybe you saw yourself in the other universe where you're parallel doing the same thing. We could go down that rabbit hole too, but let's yeah, not. Go ahead. Yeah. Back to the stone giant. Yeah. So that that scene unfolded, you know, just this brief little snippet. It unfolded several times. And I'm trying to remember what film I've seen it in. And then finally I realize, no, 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 no. No, that's here. That was just created my by my brain. That mm-hmm. is not something I saw in an animated show or some big Hollywood sci-fi movie. No, I just created that action. And once I was able to internalize that and accept that this was part of my experience and not something I was dredging up from my own past, then it began to move forward. Huh. Still, it had the convincing weight of memory, but the stone giant tilted its head up toward the sky, opened its mouth, and a stream of lava shot forth into the sky. Mm-hmm. Like a fire hose. Because mm-hmm. that's what you do when you're watching stone giants point their head uh, at the uh, sky, right? Of course, why not? Uh, was it, could you feel it? Was it hot? Or did you, was it not no, that? No, I was, visceral? I was, okay. I was far enough removed that, okay. yeah. Uh, are you there though? Or are you just watching this giant? Do you know what I mean? There's a difference. Like, are you just mm-hmm. seeing this giant? Or are you also present in the frame with this giant? Maybe. Okay, Possibly. I understand. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I literally can't answer that question. Right. Uh, you know, and it may also be kind of a D, all of the above. No, I wasn't there. Yes, I was there. Right. Totally. Got it. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, this fire hose of lava is shooting into the sky and it shoots and shoots and shoots. And then all of a sudden it starts to collect several mm-hmm. hundred feet off the ground. The lava or the giant? The lava. Okay. And it begins spinning into this sphere. I can see it beginning to collect in this spherical shape. But also you have to imagine that you're pouring liquid into a glass bowl and it's sloshing mm-hmm, around mm-hmm. and you see this wave action going on. That's happening with the lava in this great spherical shape. I, I, the more I tell the story, the more I relate it in my head, the better I'm able to describe it. Because that was a piece that has... I've seen, but was really difficult to describe. So that was the vision. Okay. That was, that was the sum total of what I saw. Now, when the session ended, I was asked what the most significant thing was that I encountered. And so I began telling them there's this stone giant. He came out of the ground, his head (laughs) tilted up. (laughs) Lava (laughs) shot from his, from his mouth, like a fire hose. And then I surprised myself by what, happen next partly because of my clarity and partly because of my certainty i then told them the stone giant was me the magma shooting from me was my creativity oh wow um and the sphere that it began to spin into was a world that i had created a world within a world that that is my power as a writer, that I have the power to do that as a novelist. And I suppose this would be where I admit that I've been working on a novel for much of this year in what shall we say passes for spare time. I've tended not to admit this, 
two people. I think I've told two or three friends so far because I'm, I have this crazy fear that I'll put the hex on it <laughs> that by, by showing my hand, mm-hmm. it'll stop the progress on it in some way. But I think part of this journey means that I have a responsibility to myself to admit that as a means of holding myself accountable, that mm-hmm. I am doing this, that I am writing this thing and I will see it through. The session was not at all what I expected. I was never fearful. Okay. I didn't see anything scary. Well, whatever I thought might take place definitely did not happen. I was reminded of something that one of the guides told Michael Pollan and how to change your mind. He said, you may not get what you want, but you'll get what you need. And to the degree that I trust that, then I have to trust this vision. I think the vision of the great stone giant was me telling myself to believe in my ability as a writer, to state that ability without reference to my parents, that it is absolute and needs no emancipation from anything else. This was without a doubt, one of the most intense experiences of my life. And I'm supposed to do it again soon. Theoretically today, not quite (laughs) as big a dose, but theoretically again today, but my prescription has not yet arrived from the compounding pharmacy in San Francisco. So I think I'm in the clear. The, the physical aspect of the experience was equally intense and not uh, entirely entertaining. When I removed the eye mask and we began our debrief at the very end of our session, I started to become nauseated. Uh, I was, I was not comfortable. And my, the woman who's the therapist in the team, she had three eyes. Uh, (laughs) You know, I think about, okay, ketamine's a party drug, K2, right? That's the street name. People do this thing for entertainment. And I also stop and think about like, I've heard of people who will drink two bottles of wine, you know, as they're getting drunk. And So I suppose that it's possible somebody might have taken a dose like what I had to go to a party. I simply cannot conceive of it. This is not something I would ever do for entertainment value. And so those people out there who are concerned that, oh my God, the whole world's going to lose its mind and go do this drug and go act crazy. No, no. Uh, One of the classic hallmarks of, of psychedelics and animals is that They will do them once and not do them again. You know, an elephant might encounter something. It'll do it just the once. Fermented fruit, it'll do over and over and over. Right, right. You know, but, but, you know, uh, I forget some of the animals that uh, hallucinogens will will act upon. Sunflower seeds for parrots, okay? Interesting. But, yeah, this is, this was not party time. I know you know, that there really is that concern out there, but this is something people are going to go to only if they see the other avenues available to them as either tried and not effective or not sufficiently, I don't even know the word, uh, powerful, uh, direct, uh, there's, there's, this work is unlike anything else. 
but you've really got to want to do this work. It is not simple or easy. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I look at my next dose of this, uh, my next experience with this with some amount of trepidation. This is, this is not going to be easy stuff. Uh, what's the end game? Uh, the end game is me not hamstringing myself with my own negative self-talk. Right. But is it just, I mean, are you just forging pathways? Like what's the, do you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you know? Yes. Quote so, unquote, when it has, if it has been successful and, and uh, such. Well, you know, I mean, unfortunately you don't get a certificate. There's, you know, there's no, <laughs> no degree program, well, right? Think, but I mean, the idea is to like, to burn because I know that a lot of times they try to break you at like people who have OCD or people have different things. I mean, you're trying to burn another pathway. So your brain, it's like when you're skiing, right. And you just keep burning that same cross country thing. You're always going to go down that track because it's the only track that exists. So you need to make other tracks. So when you, you have other options in your brain, like that's a very simplistic way to say it, but that is what that's super effective. Yes. Yes. You know, so I've got, you know, to use the snow analogy, I've got moguls in my brain. Right. And now we're going to take the groomer through and make a whole bunch of corduroy. Right. And right. So yeah, uh, Tuesday was my first effort at, you know, burning a new track. And the reason I'm going to do this sequence of additional treatments is to reinforce that and yep, hopefully yep. also no, that create other additional ones. Right. So that's, yes, that's very much, uh, the, the effort here. I was talking with someone recently, uh, Stephen Kotler, and we were discussing, you know, the evolutionary basis for psychedelics. You know, why, mm-hmm. why do they act upon us? And for him, the answer that he's arrived at in talking with neuroscientists and uh, other people he's interviewed is that this is precisely what they are meant to do. They are meant to be a reboot, uh, a reboot for the default mode network so that we begin forging new pathways yeah. and you know it's it's like when they built the 105 in in Makes la they sense. needed a new freeway yeah and so this yeah. is their purpose and it's up to us to use them wisely cool all right <sighs> yeah uh, so uh i'll probably check back in at some point but <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna get dark <laughs> on this for a little while thanks that, that's Oh, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fascinating stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, for those out there contemplating this, um, yeah, it, this is a, this is a real thing and it will, it will change things for people. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, thank Let's you do sharing. baseline picks. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I have a pick that no longer exists. So, um, that's <laughs> how useful is that? Um, but the concept of it does exist, so I decided to go with it anyway. So okay. when I went out to uh, Keystone Gravel, I I took I I won a bike packing tent. It has to be ten years ago already. Like okay. I, I won it in a fat bike race, and it I like oh that's cool. And then I put it away and literally never used it. Like and so I was going out to Keystone Gravel, and it was just me. And I was like, well, I don't need my giant tent, but I, my car is not an option. Um, and then I remembered I had this thing. So it's funny. I pulled it out of the, 
It's uh, the Mailer Tra- Adventure Trans Alp tent. So I pull it out of the sack and I was like, okay, there were just stakes, but no poles. Oh. I was like, yeah. I'm like, huh. So I literally had to Google. I went to YouTube. I'm like, hello. And it's, 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 it's a cool concept. So you, you, it, you stake the tent on by its footprint and then you roll your bike into it and your bike is what holds up the tent. So there's like a little space for your saddle with a little screen that falls behind your saddle and your handlebars hold it open and you roll in your bag on one side and yourself on the other. And, um, you know, it's cool. I mean, it wouldn't stand up to like a hurricane or anything, you know, and it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's definitely a more of a fair weather tent, but it was, it, uh, it really opened my eyes to like what, what you could like, cause there are, I, I went, I started Googling and even though that one does not seem to be in existence anymore, there are others. Um, NSR makes one that we, where you actually do kind of sleep with your bicycle. Your bicycle goes into the tent and uh-huh. becomes sort of part of the structure and I think for anybody interested in like bike packing and you know that sort of venture, it's a it's kind of a cool way to go because you're just tucked in there. Like there's no like what am I gonna do with my nothing? You put it all like you're all just like in the tent and it's very tight and you're just uh the tent that your bicycle becomes an extension of your sleeping arrangements and it's pretty cool. Okay, so I gotta ask. Yeah. I mean uh you're, I mean, most tents to some degree are kind of triangular or, or a squarish dome-ish something. Yeah. What, what is the general shape of this structure? But I mean, <laughs> are we talking so more isosceles triangle, equilateral triangle? Oh, right. No, it's, it's, it's more, um, you're challenging my geometry from, uh, is there a long grade. side or is the bike in the middle? No, no, no. So it's more, um, of a right. I mean, so the bike is in the middle of the tent and it folds down on either side of the tent, like in a pyramid, like that kind of shape. Okay. Okay. Huh. So there's room on either side of the bicycle. The bicycle's in the middle and there's no, and it's equidistant on either side of it. Okay. So how do you get enough space from the bike so that you're not either rubbing up against the chain or the rotors? Because it's, it is staked out. So you do have enough. So there's enough room in your little um, triangle from the bicycle to where it's staked out that you, I mean, you're, you're close to your bicycle, but mm-hmm. you, you're not that there. I didn't find that I was actually up against my bicycle. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Uh, there was another question I had about this thing. Uh, yeah, well, you know, one statement though is, for anybody who has camped out with their bike, there is very often this question of like, mm, what am I going to do to make sure my bike doesn't get stolen while I'm inside this tent and it's outside of it? So from a security standpoint, that's actually, that's kind of a neat idea. It is a neat idea. I thought so too. I mean, it is a, it's a, it's cool. There's a, it, it answers a lot of those issues. And even yeah. if you're not worried about it getting stolen, it's out in the dew and it's, you know, you come oftentimes you come out and your bike is soaked with dew, mm-hmm. your saddles, what, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, yes. it, it, it eliminates that too, which, which is kind of cool, which is nice. Yeah. Now that, that said, I did need, cause we, my bike and I both looked like we had driven and well, not driven, like we were passengers in the back of a dump truck for the better part of five or six hours. So <clears throat> we both needed to be cleaned a bit before we got into our sleeping arrangements but um 
you know, there, there's that element of it. At you and your bike, you're only as clean as each other when you're in there. Um, but- <laughs> <laughs> I like how you phrased that. <laughs> wow. Ballpark, what do these, this flavor of tent, what do they go for? Do you have any sense on that? Um, I did, and now I have forgotten. I do know they're not expensive. I mean, this one that I had was maybe a couple hundred bucks. I don't know what the other ones are going for, but they're they're honest. They're very affordable. They tend okay. to be again if you just get. I mean, I'm sure that they have much more expensive options if you're going to Siberia. You know what I mean? If you're going to like do the kind of thing that yeah. Jay Pedaveri does, where you're like God knows where, <laughs> and you need all the protection in the world, you're going to spend more for your tent. But if sure. you're just doing a fair weather trip. And you need essentially a bivy sack. They're not that they're not expensive. Okay. That's neat. Well, and then there's the fact that, yeah, if you're actually bikepacking something that has less to it, less for you to carry, less for you to pack, that is its own selling point. Oh, it's, it's great. And it it hooks very easily on your handlebars. You know, it's sort of, it has the little straps on the, on the bag that hook over your handlebars. Oh, so it's self-contained. You're not putting into something else that you've already strapped onto your bike. Well, it has a sack that has straps that are made to go around your handlebars. So, yes, in that way, it is definitely self-contained. It doesn't need to go in any bags. Right, right. Because, like, I've got a handlebar wrap that you take your 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 tent that's already in its bag and you put it into the wrap. And the yeah, strap yeah. And no, you don't even need that. Yeah. Which yeah. makes it even more attractive. Yeah, it was, exactly. it was it was it was a good, it was kind of eye opening for me. I was just like, I, I will use this again. I was it was cool. OK. Well, that sounds like something that I I haven't done a lot of bike packing yet, but it is something that I'm looking at for the not too distant future. Like it makes it more summer. attractive. This kind mm-hmm. of stuff, I think, has gotten it definitely makes it more attractive. Like the less that you have to fuss with stuff and carries, right? Knock down those barriers. It makes it way easier to think like, oh, yeah, it does sound like fun. Yeah. 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 Neat. OK, so this week for my pick, we're going to switch things up a little bit. Normally, I would say recovery devices are your province, Celine. That is true. I have talked about many of them. <laughs> well, this week I have one. And the, the really funny thing here is you'll recall I asked you, hey, when did you review that sidekick from Fuse? And you were like, no, no, <laughs> no didn't do never. it. Nope, nope. So <laughs> no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. I went out and bought something thinking that you had recommended it because it popped awesome. up in an ad in Facebook. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that looks really. Oh, I think Celine talked about that. You know, I probably should buy. So here's the thing. There's this device. It's called the Cytec. Right. It's from this company called Fuse. It's a peanut shaped device, more or less. It's six and a half inches long and about three and a half inches in diameter at its widest point. I didn't bother to, to measure the, the narrow portion, the isthmus. Uh, <laughs> it's got all the kind terms of, this week. Yeah. I saw isthmus. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I blame the ketamine. <laughs> so all the geometry is coming back. Oh, you're gonna hate this <laughs> quadrilateral. I don't even know. Go ahead. I'm gonna some spouting nonsense. Well, the the surface has a diamond file pattern. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have another better way to say it. It's the the surface is a reasonably soft, rubbery material, maybe a polyurethane. It's pretty squeezy. But it's durable. The neat thing, and the reason why I thought that you'd said something about 
about it was it vibrates. It's got a little motor I, inside. Yeah, I have a few of those I've talked about. They okay. work. Well, as it turns out, yeah, you're right. Um, so I've been using this one on my shoulders. You know, I'll lay on mm. it so that the 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 smaller portion is kind of cradling my spine mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I'll mm-hmm. roll back and forth and then like I'll lower my cheeks. I'll raise my pelvis and do that. And then I'll kind of twist back and forth on it. It's got four different vibration modes. Uh, and I'm not going to say anything else other than like one of them is a, a low frequency up to a high frequency vibration, kind of like a, a vibration siren. And <laughs> that thing, it, that setting is just awesome and i'll just stay in a position and wait for it to cycle and then roll a little more and twist and whatnot and as a post-ride means of making sure Mm. that my my shoulder and neck uh are both happy it's been a a really really nice addition to what i do for myself and it's only 75 bucks i mean sure that's not the eight bucks that i spent for for tape and two lacrosse balls at at a sporting goods store but yeah, this thing, it's it's really effective. And, you know, I remember you talking about a foam roller that ha- that vibrated yep. and it didn't hurt when you use that the way a normal foam roller does. That's the that's the money. Yeah. 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 That was it excites those nerves. So it takes what you're not your brain isn't processing it the same way. Yeah. I, I mean, like so much so that there have been times where I've gotten up from having used it. I've been on it not three, four, five minutes, not just a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and an hour later i realized oh my gosh i'm sore i really worked myself over and like i won't <laughs> even do it the next day right <laughs> so yeah that- it's uh, overdoing it in a certain sort of way is possible i don't think i did myself any harm but it was i i went deep enough and hard enough that yeah my body was which you probably would never have done with one that's not like that because it would just hurt too much oh hell no yeah yes. yeah yeah totally so it's a really cool little device. Uh, and it's funny. <laughs> uh, just a couple days ago on Facebook, I, I showed a photograph of an AC adapter, a charger that I had pulled out of a backpack, which means I had used it relatively recently, but I couldn't think of what it was to. And I was getting all these, these comments like you only have one. It's like, well, this is the only one I'm copying to. And I was concerned because it was in a backpack. I used it recently. What's it to? Oh, it was to the sidekick. It was for that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's right over there charging now. (laughs) I'm so glad I didn't throw it away. Yeah. Uh, I knew not to. I knew not to. (laughs) All righty, everybody. That's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. What are you doing this weekend? Uh, What am I doing this weekend? I don't know yet. There's a there's a regular cross race in town and then there's a gravel ride on Sunday. I'm doubting I'll do the regular cross race, but I'm kind of tempted by the gravel ride. So Mm. it's supposed to be beautiful. So I'm definitely going to do something on bikes. I just have not committed to what that thing is yet. Yourself? (laughs) Uh, I am leaving for San Francisco on Friday tomorrow. Gosh, yeah, this this week is zoomed by. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will do a little ride Friday uh, across the Golden Gate Bridge and into the Marin Highland headlands. Wow. And then that's just kind of a little prelude to the next four days after that, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I will be joining the California Coast Classic and Arthritis oh, Foundation. I've done it. Yeah. I've done the whole thing. Yeah. 
so I'm just doing the first four days, not all eight. Yeah, yeah it's I'll, amazing. I'll bail at, uh, at Cambria. And I mean, really, that's the heart of the ride. That's the that's the part of the ride that you really can't do unless you're being supported. Getting through Does it San get you through Big Sur area? Yes. That's when you go, yeah, that yes. was amazing. That was magical. Yeah. 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 Oh, cool. I mean, that, that stretch of Big Sur, of all the places you can ride your bike in the world, that's one that ought, really ought to be on everyone's bucket list. I 100% agree. I've been yeah. through there twice by bike and twice by car. And it was amazing by car and exponentially better by bike. Yeah. Yep. As most everything is, right? Huh, yeah. True. So that's that's my weekend and the first part of next week oh enjoy it enjoy yeah it. yeah i'm looking forward to it and i i know a few of people who will be there some old friends so getting to reunite with some people i care about will also be uh, a pretty lovely thing awesome mm, yeah uh i've been a little occupied so i haven't read all of your work this week <laughs> anything you want to give our listeners a heads up on and the, you know, the only thing that is, was interesting this week is I did a piece on mouthwash of all things. And yes, um, it was fascinating. So the, the short of it is, is that and I, this is the second conversation I've had in as many weeks. because There's another piece coming out shortly on oral health and cyclists where the expert and the one was the president of the periodontal society was just like, we've got to tell people to stop using antibacterial mouthwash. Um, we've spent too long telling people to kill the bacteria in their mouths and they're killing the good bacteria. So we're like, just as you have a gut biome that you don't want to <laughs> nope. kill the good stuff, you have an oral microbiome that is equally important. And in cycling, it helps you. So when you when you start riding, you produce um, nitrates naturally. You know, they mm -hmm. go to nitrates and go to nitric oxide, opens up your blood vessels, lowers your blood, blood pressure. Um, all that's great stuff. And that that effect, lasts after you're done and they've actually never really understood why but then they did this study where they found that your 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 saliva the the good bacteria in your saliva actually feeds off of the nitrates that you produce and recycle recycle it for you after you're done keeping those vessels open and your blood pressure low so you kind of lose that benefit if you kill them with mouthwash to the point that studies have found that people like chronic users of mouthwash have higher blood pressure, yeah, which yeah. is insane. So, and also if yes. you take like beetroot juice or any of those things as a nitrate supplement, it's, it's washed out because you've killed the bugs that are helping create, create that. <laughs> so um, don't mess with mother nature is, the, is, you know, usually the, yeah. Microbiome I, is real important all, all everywhere. I was so stunned by that because we're talking about such small volume here. It's not like, you know, drinking yeah. a glass of milk. We're, we're talking about, you know, a swallow of saliva. There's, you know, there's just, you're not dealing with much material. And yet it's making this huge difference. I, I couldn't have been more surprised by that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fast. It's fascinating. I mean, I, 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 I spent a lot of time in this space and it's the first that I, had heard of and it's really it, it we're just scratching the surface of this stuff so yeah yeah ditch, ditch the mouthwash <laughs> that's anyway. yeah yeah i've never been a fan and yeah there's a, a little bit in there i'm going to toss out go figure oh everybody keep those questions coming you all have been sending some great stuff 
If you got an idea, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. And I guess this is the point at which I'm going to say, you know, if you're wrestling with depression, have questions that way. I don't know that we're the best people. Certainly we're not experts on, on solving it, but <laughs> I, I think I owe it to everybody to open it up that if, if they want the conversation to be about depression more, we're going to go there. Don't forget about our Paceline kits from Primal. They are up in the RKP store. Before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one -on -one interviews. There is no show this week because uh, I was otherwise engaged, uh, but we do anticipate being back next week. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, Yogi. <laughs> My cat just joined me. Okay, hi, buddy. Uh, yeah, wherever you get your podcasts, it makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.